Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence. I am your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. I'm a psychiatrist in private practice and faculty member at the University of Virginia. Each week, my guests and I talk about meaningful coincidences, synchronicity, and serendipity. We discuss synchronicity from its many perspectives, spiritually, practically, and statistically. Why? To increase your connection to coincidences so that you can benefit from coincidence awareness in your daily life. I've written a book also called Connecting with Coincidence. Put that phrase, Connecting with Coincidence, in your web browser to find my book, Psychology Today blog, website, and social media sites. If you want to know how sensitive you are to coincidences, go to my website to take the Weird Coincidence Survey. Connecting with coincidence, synchronicity, spoken here. Our guest today is Dean Radin, who is chief scientist at the Institute of Noetic Science, IONS, and associated distinguished professor of integral and transpersonal psychology at the California Institute of Integral Studies. He earned an MS in electrical engineering and a PhD in psychology. There's not too many people who have that combination, electrical engineering and uh, psychology. From the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, before joining the research staff at IONS in 2001, he held appointments at AT&T, Bell Labs, Princeton, University of Edinburgh, and SRI International. He's the author or co-author of 250 technical and popular articles, four dozen book chapters, and four books to call your attention to, including The Conscious Universe, Entangled Minds, Supernormal, and Real Magic. Dean, welcome to the show. Glad to have you here. Thanks very much. Dean, uh, what do you think of that of the of what goes on at the at the Science of Consciousness uh, conferences each year with what you are doing? Because it strikes me as they're they're pretty much physics and anesthesiology oriented, and not so much psi oriented. Well, it has changed over the years. I, I go to that conference maybe every th two or three times, and they, I skip a bunch of them because it's true that the, the focus seems to be more on the neuroscience perspective and yeah. theoretical perspectives rather than the full range of consciousness. On the, on the other hand, there, there certainly are people there representing other views of consciousness. It's just not considered the main track. Yes, and the, this current idea that a consciousness can be explained that Penrose and Hameroff are talking about, consciousness can be explained by gravitational waves collapsing the wave function in microtubules. What do you think of that? Well, it fits in well with the scientific worldview, which is materialism. So it, you, yes. you're, yeah. they're trying desperately to fit the idea of awareness into a, a, a material mechanistic process. I, I don't think it's going to work, but that's what most scientists are brought up into that, that way of viewing reality, and that's the one that's acceptable. Um, one of the uh, what books that have come out of the Division of Perceptual Studies at UVA, with, and I'm, uh, I'm a member of that group, um, is Ed Kelly's um, 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 book about um, uh, um, mind and what's it called? Self uh, irreducible mind. Ir irreducible mind, and the other one is the the newer one. Yeah, yeah. Beyond physicalism. Beyond physicalism. Thank you. Um, and in that book, uh, particularly uh, the first couple of chapters, there are ideas about trying to describe the filter, the filter theory idea, um, that maybe uh, maybe William James uh, had something to do with putting out there. And also Aldous Huxley had a metaphor of the reducing valve and other metaphors have been used, but trying to be able to figure out a, a decent metaphor for understanding the connection between uh, our smaller minds and the greater mind. And what do you think of how to conceptualize the way that barrier becomes more or less permeable uh, in people who are able to get out into psi and mystical experiences and such? Well, my uh, my understanding on this has, has evolved over the years because since I had training as an engineer first and then as a psychologist, 
uh, I'm pretty much bought into the material worldview uh, because, among other things, it's just so powerful. So yeah. it would be it would be silly to to drop it as a a way of thinking about reality. The the problem occurs when you're you're now addressing issues of uh, anomalies of consciousness, which include synchronicity and psi and a whole a whole shebang. So I've become uh, much more inclined to think of idealism as a more fruitful way of thinking about not only these anomalous effects, but about the material world as well. And I'm not a philosopher, and I've, I've always resisted learning about philosophy because uh, it makes my brain hurt. Uh, but I've been kind of forced to think about worldviews uh, because of the difficulty of, of putting these kinds of experiences into a materialistic worldview. worldview. So while the ideas uh, like Henri Bergson's uh, notion of the, the, the brain or the, the brain-mind uh, system as being a filter, I think actually it's not radical enough. So if you, if you take an idealistic viewpoint which says that consciousness is fundamental, then in many ways from that perspective, the physical world emerges out of some kind of primordial awareness. And, and this is not then a, a solipsistic notion. It's not like the, the physical world is all an illusion out there. It's a real thing, except that it emerges out of what we'll call consciousness, for want of a better term. And it, in many ways, it's no different than imagining how chemistry emerges out of physics or how biology emerges out of chemistry. There are new things that come about as when you go higher into up in this hierarchy uh, but by the same token, electrons are found in chemistry. Electrons are found in biology. Well, now we're saying that if consciousness is the bottom, then consciousness is found in physics, and it's found in biology, and so on. So consciousness is not only filtered by the brain, it is actually created by, the, by consciousness. The brain as a structure and the body are formed out of consciousness, so it permeates the entire structure. Yeah, and I, I, I understand that from uh, other things that you have written and said. And what I'm talking about is the variability in our small mind uh, contact with the greater consciousness. But let, we'll come back to that because when I, I want to start talking about your great set of synchronicities regarding the office that you uh, were looking for in uh, 2000. I, I, saw, I saw that video uh, on YouTube, and to have you talk about it as part of your Real Magic book um, and how you think that happened, I think will get us to this question of the permeability of the boundary between small mind and big mind, which is the, mm -hmm. way, I, which is the way I might talk about it. We have about three minutes left for this segment, but let's start talking about what happened when you were searching for office space for a research institute. Sure. Well, that was uh, four-part synchronicity. Uh, like all good synchronicities, it, it certainly wasn't planned. It's just something that happened. Uh, it had to do with finding an office space for a nonprofit that, that we were establishing. And it was in Silicon Valley at the time that the, the dot-com uh, excitement was happening. So it was difficult both to find space and the space was quite expensive. So we spent a couple of weeks looking all around Silicon Valley to find a place and finally did find one in the suburbs in Los Altos. And so we, we rented this space in an office complex. Didn't have much time to look around except that I looked at the list of people who were in part of the complex just to see who else was there. And it was mostly things like uh, real estate firms and dentists and so on. Uh, but I saw one that was called PsyQuest Inc. P-S-I Quest Inc. So that was the first synchronicity because we were creating an institute for Psy research, Psy meaning psychic, and there was some place called PsyQuest, which sounded like what we were doing. So at that point, we just simply said, well, that's, that's a, a good omen or a, a nice synchronicity, but we didn't think too much else about it. So I'll 
uh, since we're coming up on time, I think I'll wait for the second synchronicity. Good. That, that, that was a hint that maybe you were on the right path. But as we as we cruise into uh, the end of this segment, uh, I will. I'm looking at um, at uh, descriptions or, or or descriptions of the wave function, the the equation that describes how waves operate in uh, quantum mechanics. And I was startled to see that the Greek letter psi is used to, as part of that equation. Yes. I, that's another little coincidence that uh, I have to wonder about. What did you think about that? Yeah, it's it stands for almost the same thing in quantum mechanics. It's the it's an unknown. It's it's part of the wave function in a variable. Uh, but on the other hand, psi is simply a letter of the Greek alphabet, and it is used in lots of different kinds of equations. Uh, yeah, and it's also used uh, in psychology because that's what we mean by mind. Right. Uh, the idea of mind. And as we come to the end of this segment, what I read about your um, the set of coincidences that you ha had um, in Los Altos, there's some part of the magic that has to do with imagining what you want and somehow that materializes. And what I, I'm hoping we get to is how that barrier, that filter in the old way of thinking about things um, is something you were playing with. Uh, as you did that. Uh, you're listening to Connecting with Coincidence with your host, uh, Bernie Beitman, MD, on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, and our guest is Dean Radin. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone radio show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone broadcast network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simo TV. Simo TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, sci-fi, and horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at SimulTV.com. Do it today. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com.
Welcome back to CC with BB, Connecting with Coincidence with Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. That is me. We are talking with Dean Radin about a coincidence that he had that is recorded for his new book called Real Magic. So, Dean, tell us about part two of that synchronicity, please. All right. So, synchronicity number two is after being at the office for about a month, I started wandering around in the area and I walked to the office a different way that I had not taken before. And I, I noticed to my surprise that in the office right next to us, uh, there was a small sign that said SciQuest Research Labs, which now made it a little bit more interesting because I had assumed that SciQuest stood for something like personnel service investigations or something like that. <laughs> And uh-huh. so what were, th- what were they doing with the research lab? So the, I, look, I tried to look through the mini blinds, which were closed, and it, it looked like it was empty. There, was, there were no lights on inside or anything, and I didn't see anybody through the blinds. So over the, the next couple of weeks, I checked that office every day to see if there's somebody in there, just so I could introduce myself and find out what, what were they doing. Well, finally... I notice somebody's in there, one of the blinds is open and knocked on the door. A man comes to the door and I'm, I'm preparing to say, hello, I want to introduce myself, my name is. And the door was open at that, by that time and he, the man that opened the door looked at me and he looked like he was going to pass out, like he looked like he was in shock. And of course I was concerned and it, it was right up to the point where I was about to say my name and he said it for me. So I said, hello, my name is, and he kind of, eyes bugging out, said, Dean Radin? And so now I didn't know what to think because I had never seen this person before. I had no idea how he would know me because our name, the, what we were doing was not anywhere uh, on, the, on our, uh, in fact, nobody knew where we were at that point, And no one knew what our institute was about because we called it Boundary Institute. Mm didn't have anything to, to do with Psy, at least not visibly. Do you know why you called it Boundary Institute? Because that's what I'm curious about. That's what I've been trying to talk about, the boundary between small mind and big mind, or at least one idea. Yeah, for us, it was the boundary between mind and matter. Uh, good, same idea. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I said, uh, well, how did, I, I didn't ask him how he knew my name, but I said, I'm, I'm your neighbor, and I wanted to just find out what you're doing here. So he said, I'm doing what you're doing. <laughs> and I asked, well, then, well, what do you think we're doing? <laughs> and he replied, I'm doing cyber research. I'm doing parapsychology. So this was quite stunning to me, given that uh, we, we know everybody in the world who's involved in this. Uh, we've never heard of a completely independent institute doing cyber research. Uh, and, of course, we're right next door to him. So that, this was synchronicity number two. We have two parapsychology research facilities right next door to each other, and neither of which knowing that the other was going to be there. Beautiful. So now the third synchronicity is, after we had both recovered, uh, I, I asked uh, the owner of this place, his name was John, uh, well, first of all, why were you so shocked when I opened the door? Uh, I mean, after we got over the idea of Two, two similar institutes right next to each other. And uh, he said this because he was trying to manifest me. He was trying to make me show up. Now, he didn't expect that I was going to physically show up right, in, right at his doorstep, but he was looking for a synchronicity. He was trying to create one so that he would run into me somehow. And the reason was that he wanted me to be on his board of directors for his organization to help doing things like fundraising. But he had no idea where I was. As far as any, anyone was concerned at that time, I was still at the University of Nevada. Uh. But, and, and so no one knew that, I mean, hardly anybody in the public knew that I was already working in Silicon Valley for a couple of years. Uh, and, and there was no way for anyone to have found me either because the company I was working for was extremely proprietary. So they didn't release information about anybody and anything. What was your reaction when he said your name? Well, I, w- I felt disoriented because it, I didn't, 
it wasn't so much the the name. I mean, I'm, I'm semi-public, so people might recognize me, although yeah. not that surprising. Uh, but no, but when he told me that he was trying to make me show up, he uh -huh. was trying to manifest me. Yeah. That really made me feel quite disoriented because I think I have free will. <laughs> and I, I, I think I went to the door that day and knocked on it thinking, okay, I'm going to do something now. And yet it fit in perfectly with what he was trying to to do. And I asked him, how was he doing it? What, what does it mean to try to manifest someone? Yeah. Well, so he was doing a Tibetan dream yoga technique, which is uh, three hours awake and three hours dreaming. And you do that over 24 hours. And after the second or third round, you start getting into this strange space where you're not completely sure if you're awake or dreaming anymore. And in the dream, you're specifically using intention to draw toward yourself the thing that you want. It's part of magical practices that you, you are drawing, pulling towards yourself the thing that you are keeping in your mind. So when I knocked on the door, he had just finished a three-hour dreaming session and he was shocked because he was not completely sure if he was dreaming or awake. Uh -huh. And I thought I was awake, and uh, I'm sure I was, because we, we then uh, had to get over the shock of somehow the magic had worked. How, how does one know one is dreaming during these three hours on and three hours off? Well, that's the thing, isn't it? So if you are, are sleeping and dreaming in three-hour shifts, the, the maybe the first time it may be difficult to go to sleep, uh, but the second time, third, and fourth time are pretty easy because you're you're already in a kind of discombobulated state. Yes. So it's easy to fall asleep, and so in the process of falling asleep, you kind of program yourself to this is the thing I want, this is the thing I want, and you fall to s go to sleep with that in mind, and because you're in this strange state, you're very likely to end up dreaming and hopefully dreaming the thing that you want. So, so he, the, wasn't a, he wasn't the, a lucid dreamer, uh -huh. uh, but, but he was having dreams that were along the lines of what he was trying to program. And this was not just a one-shot deal. He'd been doing this for months. Uh -huh. So he, he would program himself before he went to sleep as well as he could know that he was awake when he was doing it and then he would let like so many people like Kekul discovering the benzene ring um, wanting to be able to use the dream to be able to come up with the answer to a problem right right so he didn't imagine that I was going to open the door one day he was imagining that it'd be more like uh, he would find something I had written that had an email address or some other way that he can get in contact with me. Ah, okay. Okay, but here you were in the flesh. Here I was opening the door, which, <laughs> as you can imagine... Boundary. The boundary. Yeah, it would be a little shocking to... I, I really want to get in touch with this guy, but not have him show up at the door. Now, you mentioned that you think you have free will, which I like to think you do, too. Uh, so that when you think, when you want to have someone do something and it's not what that other person wants to do, that would be a problem. That would actually be black magic. That's what I thought. Yeah. But, but you were, but you were a kind of in a, as far as I can tell, in a neutral position about whether to meet this guy or not, because at least he wasn't going to be against what you were doing. And there he was being in favor of what you're doing. But you were kind of almost the way you describe it, a pawn in his dream. Yeah, but it was a two-way yes. street. Yes. So, the, so synchronicity number four is that uh, about the month before all of this unfolded, I was in the office. Uh, we, we had a pretty large suite of offices, and the only one that I had furnished was mine because I was waiting for the other folks in, the, in our organization to join me. So I'm in this big empty space in my office, and I had a desk and a whiteboard and a few other things. And I'm, I've been drawing on the whiteboard the kind of laboratory space I want, which is a certain sort of shielded room and uh, a special reclining chair and some physiology equipment and a bunch of other things. So I was sketching it on the board and it was sitting there now for weeks on the board. And I was looking at it a lot, uh, thinking both about what we would be doing and about the equipment and also wondering where in the world am I gonna get all this stuff? It was about $100,000 worth of equipment, which we didn't have. So 
uh, after uh, we go back to synchronicity number three, where John was manifesting me somehow, after that he said, well, do you, do you want to see what we have? Of course. So he, he brings me back into his lab, which has the shielded room that I wanted, the reclining chair, the physiology equipment, and a bunch of other stuff. And then, then it was another shock for me because after I got over what I was looking at, I said to John, well, come over to my office and see what I have drawn on my whiteboard because I had drawn exactly what he was showing me and it was on the other side of the wall because my office was adjacent to, the, the, to the, his laboratory and literally maybe two or three feet on the other side of the wall from where I had been drawing was the very thing I had been drawing toward me. So I wanted something, namely what he had in his lab. He wanted something, namely me. And somehow the, the, this double synchronicity conspired in such a way as to draw two extremely unlikely things together and literally right next to each other. Reminds me of people uh, who think they have a soul flame, uh, somebody who's the same as they are, but of usually the opposite sex, and who are looking for each other. And there's something, so, so hat, glove and hand that fits so beautifully with what you're just describing. Yeah. You are listening to Connecting with Coincidence with your host, Bernie Beitman, MD, on the X-Zone Broadcast Network. And our guest is Dean Radin, who is the author of the new book called Real Magic. broadcast studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, to the world and beyond. You're watching the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. I am Dr. Carl O'Helvey, Founder, President of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7, 365. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnick's author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God. It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God, and finally, 
After the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Welcome back to Connecting with Coincidence with your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. That is me. Our guest is Dean Radin. And Dean, we are talking about a tremendous set of coincidences that took place with you and your office space and trying to talk about how that happened. And one of the things that you've mentioned is that um, you try to create synchronicities in your lab, uh, much like when people talk on the tele think of someone and someone calls on the telephone there they are um what do you mean by magic and what it's is its relationship to synchronicity so magic is part of the esoteric traditions and the reason i started looking at, at these traditions is to find a clue to answer the question that always comes up which is how do you explain how, the, how these things can work so when most people, especially in, in the Western world, are asked uh, that question, then what we try to come up with is a, a mechanistic answer based on things like particles and forces and fields. And this is why for something like telepathy, what almost always comes up when people are imagining how it could work is that it's some, something like radio. It's, it's an electromagnetic signal of some type. Yeah. The problem with that is that uh, for probably a century now, people have been testing the idea as to whether or not it is one of the known forces, in particular electromagnetism, uh, through use of shielding and distance and other methods. And it basically we, we know with high confidence that we're not dealing with electromagnetism. So it's not mental radio. It's something completely different. Well, then... Then someone like a physicist who spends their life learning about the material forces, they'd say, well, then what you're talking about is impossible. It can't work because we don't know of anything that, that does that. And I think they're probably right that from a, a straightforward materialistic perspective, it's very difficult to understand how any of this stuff can work. So you look in the esoteric traditions because science is roughly 400 years old. But the esoteric traditions are maybe 40,000 years old. And there's a single thread that you see echoed again and again through all cultures, throughout history, on, on that lineage. And that's where the idea comes from that consciousness is fundamental. It's, it's from where the universe arises. And if you then simply adopt that perspective, then suddenly things like telepathy and all of this, the psi phenomena and synchronicities start to make sense, but they make sense in a way that is not conventional, it, it not, at least not from a scientific perspective, because it, you have to imagine a more radical reality where the physical world becomes a special case of a more complex reality where ultimately mind or consciousness is really the fundamental thing. What makes... What makes a person, either state or trait, more able to do psi events? Well, there's a little bit known about that. We know that the, the psychological trait of openness is an important um, component. There are many experiments looking at what's been dubbed the, the sheep-goat effect, mm -hmm. uh, where the, the sheeps are the believers and the goats are the non-believers, and so using belief as uh, a factor in an experiment, you can modulate performance by looking at belief. So the, the typical experiment is a classroom of, of students, and you separate them according to their prior belief in ESP. You have them do the same experiment, and the results are very predictable. The, the believers will get a, a positive result, and the non-believers will either get a null result or a negative result. And the difference in performance between both of those groups typically is significant. So what this, what's interesting then is that you look within magical lore and you find that among the things that modulate magical practice is belief. And, and noticing that and many other 
similarities made me realize that parapsychology has been studying magic. The same kind of effects that you see in the esoteric concepts of magic are the same as what we see in the parapsychology lab, except we don't talk about magic because it sounds antediluvian somehow, but in fact, that's the kind of practices that we've been talking about, and that's that's why I'm, I'm thinking that we need to pay more attention to the way that uh, that the people throughout history have thought about these phenomena. Now, all of it, of course, was pre-scientific, so they didn't have the same language or concepts, but maybe they were onto something that we have have accidentally dropped in the effort to become to look more scientific, and that's that's ultimately what turned into my book, Real Magic. And you're trying to bring the esoteric into the old information into the exoteric uh, to be able to have us understand what magic might have been in the old days. But I'm still caught with how, um, how it is that you or the guy next door in the office can penetrate from what I consider our small minds, uh, which are immersed in this greater consciousness, and make a, gr a better connection with that greater consciousness to make the magic happen. There's something about permeability of mind to greater, individual mind to greater consciousness that you are talking about with sheep, goat, with belief, with openness. Right. And there's, some, there's some, something happens, in, there's something that sounds mechanistic to me where there's a membrane that's permeable, relatively permeable, and that you are talking about how to make that membrane yet more permeable. Right. So here's where, where magic is, is, provides a clue. In all of the magical traditions, both in the Western esotericism and Eastern, the magic never happens at the level of conscious awareness. It, it, or it, conscious awareness is like a surface level of the ocean. It's, there's a whole lot going on below, and that's where the action is happening, not at the level of, of everyday awareness. So in the magical traditions, they call it gnosis, a state of consciousness which is quite deep. In the Eastern tradition, it might be, if you were a yogi, you would call it samadhi. Mm -hmm. And these are mystical states. So in that mystical state, there's no distinction between you and me and between now and then or any kind of dualistic notion. That is where in the yogic tradition, the cities, special powers arise, and also in the magical traditions. That's the state of mind that you need to be in in order to, to make things happen because you, what I call little c and big C consciousness you're calling little middle mind and big mind. Okay. That's where the two are the same. So that's why you you have uh, phrases like Atman equals Brahman in Hinduism, which and in similar statements said in every religion, uh, which is pointing at the mystical experience that there really is ultimately no difference between your awareness and the awareness of the universe. The the the. The distinction, though, is that the those two things seem to be very different. They look radically dualistic from the point of view of everyday awareness and awareness yeah. of the universe. Yeah. But, but the reason why things like meditation and certain psychedelic states and dreaming uh, seem to be more powerful ways of using these kinds of phenomena is because you've gotten deeper, metaphorically, and down into uh, the depths of consciousness and that's where that's where little C and big C begin to meet. Deeper down into the big C, the conscious, the big, the big consciousness. Right. And, and we're talking about practices in daily life um, that, for some people, allow them a brief access to that greater consciousness. There seems to be various levels of that consciousness, that big C consciousness to get into. And some of the practices, you mentioned psychedelics and implied meditation. What are some of the other ways that people can get into that, that greater C? Well, so take the, the example of the synchronicity. So John was doing it through a, a Tibetan dream yoga technique. So he was in, in dreaming. And he had specifically used this technique to uh, to become disoriented from ordinary awareness so that he wasn't completely sure after a while whether he was awake or dreaming. 
And that's, that's the state that he had used to get in there. What I was doing was spending a fair amount of time, a couple hours a day, uh, drawing on a, on a whiteboard and f- not necessarily feeling that I was going to make it show up somehow magically, but uh, having a, have long periods of contemplation on what I wanted. So I was in a somewhat unusual mental space as well. And I would call it something like absorption. Like yeah. I, 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 was, I could spend an hour or two hours thinking deeply about something and completely unaware of how much time had passed. So all of these, what I was doing, what John was doing, we're, neither of us were in an ordinary state of awareness. And at least some aspects of those periods, we were overlapping. So he was doing his dreaming thing and I was doing my contemplation thing probably at the same time. And both of us at that point, when you're deep enough in this level of consciousness, there really is no difference between me and John and the rest of the universe or our offices or anything else. So we were, in a sense, co-manifesting something which we were drawing into, into existence. It's a beautiful diagram there um, of of you and he meeting someplace uh, where all is begins to be one, and that at some level for both of you, you were meeting so that your minds became part of part part of the part of the one that we all all our consciousness is involved with. Right there. Coming to the end of this segment, and my study of uh, coincidences um, includes transition and need as uh, two elements that increase the likelihood of coincidences happening. And at least on your side, and certainly on John's, the need was there. He was transiting, you were transiting. So these are these are qualities of the moment that make help make that happen. You're listening to Connecting with Coincidence with your host, Bernie Beitman, MD, on the Exxon Broadcast Network. Our guest is Dean Radin. You have heard of the X Zone? Now watch it on Simul TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide 15 exclusive channels like Exxon, Sci Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. The new nonfiction book, Razor of Madness, is similar to cult movies like Clockwork Orange, Dragon's Tattoo, or The Other Side of Hell. Wayne Morin Jr. and Thomas Lee Howe will expose widespread and systematic deficiencies in this thought-provoking tell-all novel. Mind control rages among scholars in law schools. Human rights are ignored while thought reform and mental manipulation are accepted practices used as behavior modification. Dr. Louis Jolion West comes to mind. Media and public scrutiny shows that United States mental hospitals are in fact destructive murder industries. Razor of Madness Expose Novel details this epidemic through an in-depth professional and personal investigation. For decades, there has been a revolving door policy that still releases killers and pedophiles back into society. The maestro of mind control continues to haunt America to this very day. Razor of Madness is available in paperback or as a downloadable ebook at Amazon.com. I'm William S. Peckham. If you enjoy a good mystery with a touch of the paranormal, then you'll love my novel, From Out of the Woodwork. It's the story of a young Toronto contractor, Sean Kennedy, who buys derelict homes, guts them, and turns them into multifamily dwellings, slums just waiting to happen. When Sean buys 29 Livery Lane, the house fights back. Former owners unexpectedly come out of the woodwork as he starts the destruction. The apparitions come to him when he touches old books, reads hidden letters, 
rummages through old boxes, finds a locket or reads a discovered manuscript of a murder mystery. From out of the woodwork, we'll take you from 1899 to the horror of the World Trade Center, September 11, 2001. Check out From Out of the Woodwork on my website, www.williamspeckham.com. Welcome back to CC with BB. Our guest today is Dean Radin, and we are talking about amazing coincidences and synchronicities and trying to bring them back into real life, our regular life here on the planet. Dean had quite an amazing one with putting together two minds that had similar overlapping and congruent needs. An amazing one. But now that we're talking about how we do this in regular life, we're talking about small consciousness, C, a small C, big, big C, and trying to see how we in our lives can bring bring synchronicities into them. And Dean, please talk a little bit more about us regular humans walking around trying to make synchronicities happen. Well, what regular humans need to do is meditation, or they need to practice uh, various kinds of, of dream exercises or take the right psychedelic drug under the right conditions. Uh, basically, your everyday conscious awareness is not the place to be for these kinds of phenomena. Uh, unfortunately, I think you, you don't need to spend 30 years meditating to make it happen. I think uh, there are other factors that also are important here, like uh, focused focus and clarity about the, the nature of the intention uh, and about motivation. So you can, with focused clarity and motivation and belief, belief has to be there as well, uh, with those factors are all in alignment, then, quote, miracles can happen. And this, of course, is the underlying basis of the whole genre of affirmations research. That the, the affirmations idea is that you really, really want something to happen, and you, you focus on it, and eventually it happens. It's not quite that simple, of course, but that's the idea. So if you look at where the origin of that came from, it's basically magic. It goes all the way back to shamanism. So it's around a 10,000-year-old process, and there are many ways of doing it. And in my book, Real Magic, I give a, a chapter on two of the most ancient and still popular methods, both of which have to do with writing down on paper uh, what, well, or cuneiform, if you happen to be an ancient person, uh, but it's, this is the method of taking an idea out of your mind and making it manifest in the real world by causing it to manifest on paper first. It's called writing magic. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a psychiatrist. I do psychotherapy. And one of the problems I have with the psychotherapeutic literature is how still they're based, it's based in the past. And it's also very much here and now oriented, which is pretty good too, but the, the idea of the future has not strongly entered in to the psychotherapeutic effort, where it seems to me from what you're saying, psychotherapists would be very much better served, be better serving their patients if they would help patients do just what you're talking about, energize in various ways, including writing, what you want to have happen. Yeah, that is one of the, the ancient magical practices that you, you, you don't make something appear now. You set your intention to, in the future. Your future goal is established. And then the, the world simply conspires in such a way as to be drawn towards that goal. And in fact, one of the things, one of the experiments that I talk about in my book was a method of looking at that very phenomenon in the laboratory where we, we create a goal in the future we intend that goal to happen, but from an experimental point of view, you can trace to see how did you get there? If, if you, in fact, achieve the goal, how, what happened? Well, to make a long story short, you can show that the effect is not happening as a result of starting from the present and pushing somehow, pushing yourself to get to the future. That doesn't happen in, in when you achieve a goal. Rather, it's it looks very much like 
the goal is established in the future and it draws you to it. it you're pulled from the future rather than pushing from the present. Teleology is the name for that. Yes, that's exactly what that experiment was about. Well, let's talk about the the black magic side of this, because let's say that I'm in a relationship and she doesn't care for me anymore or she cares for someone else and I want that relationship to not work so that I can have her. Uh, and But she doesn't want that. She wants to be involved with him. Uh, what what do you what do we do about people who are in a situation like that? Uh, nothing. <laughs> From a magical perspective, an, an attempt to manipulate other people's uh, wants and wishes is the definition of black magic. It's violating somebody's sovereignty and their free will. So that's that's a no-no. The, the reason why it's a no-no is because within the magical worldview, where, where everything is interconnected or everything is one, by virtue of uh, forcing somebody else or getting somebody else to do something on your behalf, which they may not be interested in, uh, that is going to bounce back. It, it will eventually will, will uh, end up harming your ability to express free will as well. So interestingly, another aspect of black magic and there's a long history on this one, is that uh, you're also not supposed to take an inanimate object and put your intentions into that with the with the goal of making it alive. So Pinocchio. The, no Pinocchios. No Pinocchios, no golems, uh -huh. uh, no, not even any tulpas from the Tibetan perspective. It's, it's a no-no to do that. And interestingly, uh, the Supreme Court of the United States did that. They did it in 2010 with Citizens United. They made corporations people. And so what we may be seeing then is the effect of that Supreme Court decision is bouncing back. It's having a negative reaction in terms of, of how our democracy is working because it has made a corporation which is not, in, in a sense, has no soul. Its only existence is to, to gain profit it's doing what the golem does. It starts taking on a life of its own. It, it then is no longer under the control of the people who initially created it, and it's to everyone's de detriment. So perhaps uh, from this perspective that the Supreme Court accidentally did an act of black magic, which turns out not to be so great. Wow. Let's, let's keep in, let's, this, that's remarkable, and that's so clear. Um, what other uh, more macro rather than intrapersonal or, in, or personal or inter or intrapersonal examples do you have of magic, uh, both positive and negative? Well, on the positive side, uh, some years ago, uh, we did a study on spontaneous remission of disease. Uh -huh. So these are cases, all of, the, all of the 2,000 or so cases that we found were in the medical literature, usually as case studies. And they involve things like uh, a bony tumor that was going to be operated on. Uh, then they take an x-ray the morning of the surgery, and it's gone. It just disappeared. So you can see it on one x-ray, and it's not on the next x-ray. So this is considered a spontaneous remission, which is just a polite way of saying it's a miracle right. uh, that, that no one knows how to explain. But it happens often enough to, to, that we found 2,000 examples of it. So... How do we explain such a thing? Well, from a, from a materialistic perspective, it's very difficult because you can't make a bony tumor disappear overnight. But from a magical perspective, it begins to make more sense. And I'm using magical perspective and idealism more or less interchangeably. From the perspective that the physical world is a reflection of consciousness, a complex reflection, but nevertheless, it's coming out of consciousness in some way. If somebody has a change of mind, in a sense, but in a very deep way, much closer to big consciousness rather than small consciousness, then the physical world can change instantly because it was being created from that in the first place. So from that perspective, and of course we don't have all the details yet in the way that we would feel comfortable with from a scientific perspective, but if that perspective is correct, then suddenly 
these miracles of spontaneous remissions, uh, which of course are, are very dramatic outcomes for the people involved, uh, is, is no longer magic. It's simply a, it's a different way of viewing the nature of reality itself. And in that form of reality, where consciousness is fundamental, all kinds of interesting things can happen. Pragmatist that I am, um, I take away a key idea, and I'm going to summarize it and see how accurate it is in your way of thinking, is that if I want something to happen, I need to be very respectful of the free will of other people. I have to be careful and not animate any inanimate objects. And that, I, that with those two caveats, if I, if, if I think about it clearly enough and place it into the future, that future then draws me to it. Yes, well, well stated. And it turns out that when you start thinking about uh, how, you're, how you're going to affirm that something happens or try to manifest it, it is really difficult to not fall into the slippery slope of black magic. Yeah. Because, because John Paul Sartre once said, hell is other people. <laughs> that, that means that, we're, that most of the things that we want are going to affect other people in some way. Yeah. Uh, uh, some aspects of society are a zero-sum game. So even if you're trying to help one person, you might actually end up harming somebody else. It's really tricky. So I'll give an example. We, we have wait, a neighbor. Wait, I, I have, I'm, make it, we have to, I'm sorry, we're coming to the end of this, so I can't okay. really get to that. Um, but uh, let's, let's leave it for our audience. That it's really tricky to conceptualize without creating harm to other people. And yep. Dean, it's been a deep pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for being on the show. You're welcome. You've been listening to Connecting with Coincidence with your host, Bernie Beitman, MD, on the X-Zone Broadcast Network. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Are you or is someone you know struggling with addictions, depression, anxiety, relationships, low self-esteem, lack of confidence, grief, success, and prosperity? Do you know that your subconscious belief plays a big role in the outcome of your hard work? We can help you permanently change the beliefs that may be the reason for your struggles and failures. We care about getting you the return on your investment and the results you are looking for. We can help you be free of the limitations of your past and in realizing your highest potential. We work with people by phone and Skype. For more information, visit us at www.ritasoman.com. That's www.ritasoman.com. Do you think you have energy problems in your home? Do you feel better when you're away than when you're home? Joey Korn is a global leader in the world of dowsing who specializes in personal energy clearing and space clearing. He can help you create an ideal energy environment in your home no matter where you live in the world. Learn about his remote spiritual house cleaning services and much more at www.dowsers.com. 
You can get Joey's book, Dowsing, A Path to Enlightenment, as well as other dowsing books and tools, Kabbalah books, and Walter Russell books. Joey's work is really amazing. Go to dowsers.com right now. That's D-O-W-S-E-R-S dot com or call 1-877-DOWSING. That's 1-877-369-7464.